all hits all the time. We are family. Max Scherzer, double-digit case. We're busting ours. Kick yours. Fun to watch. Minus 15. Respect all, fear none. Into the upper deck. Intensity is not a perfect. Oh, mercy. Five, four, three, two, one. In what was supposed to be a week of news and excitement in Dallas, Texas, alas, was not. It was full of Zoom calls and no news and staying at home. Welcome into the Mass and All Access podcast, everybody. Bobby Blanco, Amy Jennings here. Here to recap what was supposed to be the week of the winter meetings. I think we called it winter meetings all uh, week long, even though technically I think they were actually canceled, uh, mm-hmm. ending today with the Rule 5 <laughs> draft. But uh, it's still fun. I think people get perked up when they hear the term winter meetings, but we rolled with it. Uh, first, we, before we get started, Amy, round of applause to you. Kudos. You did three shows with uh, Paul Mancano yeah. uh, on All Access all week. Great stuff. Great content throughout the week. Um, this was not your first taste of winter meetings, but... Um, it was obviously difficult times, and you did a fantastic job. It's definitely more exciting. Um, thank you, Bobby. It's definitely more exciting in person, but this year I think we still we still made the most of it. Absolutely. Filled our shows with some content, and um, I think we knew there wasn't going to be a whole lot of movement this winter meetings, but hopefully it did set the table for, for some action to come over these next couple of weeks. Yeah, you, Paul, Mark, Byron all did a fantastic job throughout the course of the week. Of course, there wasn't too much news to talk about. Um, related to the Nats there were some not directly related to the Nationals but there was some news to discuss mm-hmm. um so first of all you know you said this wasn't your first winter meetings uh your first winter meetings was actually last year mm-hmm. um when we were in San Diego I've been to every single one since Nashville in 2015 I think do you, did you have a favorite location Ooh, uh Vegas was pretty cool That's Vegas right. was pretty cool in 2018 that was a good one to go to. Um, Are being, you a gambler? Um, I'm a sports gambler. I, I play. I like. I played maybe a round of blackjack with Dan Colco, and oh. then Dan's a, a player. So I can see that. After that, I had to call quits and, and go to bed. Um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, Vegas was cool. Orlando was cool. It would have been cool if we were actually close to like the Disney resort. Like we were in a Disney resort, but it wasn't like Disney World. Right, Orlando's right. also massive. Um, Nashville was my first taste was in Nashville. Actually, funny story. That's actually where I first met Mark Zuckerman when he was back uh, with another affiliate in town, um, and I introduced myself. And then, lo and behold, what two years later, uh, he's now on our side and working with us. So that was that was kind of funny. But that one, we did not. I literally did not leave the hotel, and that's why my my stigma against winter meetings comes from. I was like, I was excited to go to Nashville, and then the I think it's the Gaylord there is like right outside the city and we didn't leave the hotel. I did not breathe a single breath of fresh air that entire week until I left for the airport. Um, and when you hear horror stories about winter meetings, that was it. Yeah. And so that was kind of a tough shock to what these actu- this event actually is uh, for me. Uh, but then last year when we were in San Diego, mm. you and Paul and our boss Drexel Wright had to step up big time because I missed the last day and a half, maybe yeah, two days. You were sick. I was terribly sick, and I feel like everyone and Paul can vouch for me. Everyone uh, of our single trips, someone gets sick. Yeah. And last year it was me, oh. and, and I had the flu. Knock on wood. Terribly, and I missed the. I, I remember 
the Strasburg news that happened fairly early in the week, but I completely missed the Anthony Rendon news well, on that Wednesday. Well, you know what? Paul and I also almost missed that. We packed away all of our equipment, <laughs> and it, it's a, like, it was a pretty big set, right? Where we packed it all up, we dropped it off at UPS or wherever it was that we dropped it off, and then Anthony Rendon decided to sign. So that was that was really great, but we made it work. We got out the iPhones, um, practiced our little social skills, and we got it done. But I was like, oh, come on, yeah. Anthony. Yeah, I, I heard Paul talking to Mark on All Access this week, mentioning that that video is actually one of our most viewed videos in the past couple of years, if not of all time, and it was shot on an iPhone, which Maybe is pretty impressive. Maybe nobody noticed. Yeah, me, yeah I'm sure. It was just so knows. exciting. The news was just so crazy. They, they didn't realize. Well, that just goes to show that we can roll the punches when needed. Right. So those are uh, horror stories of <laughs> winter meetings past. Like I said, this year was very different. Of course, everything being virtual. Uh, we did all our shows from right here from the Mass and Newsroom. Um, and another shocking development last year actually was a fun winter meetings because you had Rendon, you had Garrett Cole, you had mm-hmm. Steven Strasburg signed. Those were three of the top big free agent names last season. And this year as to be expected, but very slow mo- moving, no real big names move. The biggest name probably being Adam Eaton, uh, officially ending his time mm-hmm. with the Washington Nationals and going back to the Chicago White Sox. Yeah, there's not a whole lot of movement really across baseball, and that's because there's aren't a whole lot of big names. And, you know, teams are in kind of weird financial situations. Um, not really in, so a lot of um, organizations aren't in, in the position to spend money. And really right now with the Nationals, at least I – don't really know where they're at. I'm mm-hmm. not sure where they're going to go, what they're going to spend on, if they're going to spend any money. Um, so it kind of leaves us up up in the air. But like you said, Adam Eaton um, uh, headed out to Chicago. So we, we're going to kind of recap the news that happened throughout the week. And um, if you want, Bobby, we can kind of work backwards, okay. starting with with news that we'll broke work yesterday. Our way up to Adam Eaton. And then work our way up. Gotcha. Go ahead. Um, so yesterday, the Nationals, this is not really winter meetings news, but they, nas- they, they announced their invites um, out to their minor league affiliates. Um, the big news happening there is that Fredericksburg bumped down to low A. They were the double A affiliate. And then they invited the Wilmington Blue Rocks to become their high A affiliate. They were affiliated with the Kansas City Royals. And now they were invited to become a Nationals affiliate. They accepted that invitation on Twitter yesterday. Um, but with this news now, you know, they're all on the East Coast, coast which is exciting because we knew their AAA team was out in Fresno, California. Kind of tough, you know, guys bouncing back and forth, having to fly the whole way across the country. So that's good news. But Auburn which was their their short season team and the Hagerstown Sunge, which which was their low A team, lost their affiliations, which is is sad. Anytime a town loses their team um, and doesn't pick up um, another affiliation, it's it's sad. And there's been so many great players come through Hagerstown over the years. I mean, they were affiliated with the um, Orioles before, the Blue Jays, the Giants, a whole lot of teams. Um, You saw guys like um, Larry Sheets and Billy Ripken come through there, a ton of guys down on rehab assignments. So that's sad to see. But all the teams are back on the East Coast, which is exciting. And um, we'll see what what shakes out there, Bobby. Not just the East Coast, but relatively close and and nearby. Mm -hmm. I think the furthest is probably Rochester, right? And that's only about, I think, Byron Kerr, on MassInSports.com, calculated an 85-minute plane uh, flight, mm-hmm. plane flight, yeah, uh, flight. So that's so much easier than oh, yeah. the cross, the trip across country from Fresno uh, when you're trying to get a AAA player down to the major league roster um, in the nick of time to, to make an emergency start or to be exactly. a backup bat on the bench uh, just in case. Uh, Wilmington is a great location for the Nationals. Delaware, it's only a handful of 
couple hour drive up probably 95. Um, you know, I make frequent trips to Delaware uh, for the beaches and that's an easy trip back and forth. You can make the trip in a day uh, and a couple, if you're let, if you're no, you know, usually these guys are told that they're coming like, the morning of or the night before mm-hmm. you can make a decision early in the day and they'll be in time for batting practice. So traffic pending, but you know, you, mm-hmm. you get the point. And then of course uh, the, the teams that are staying, uh, it is sucks to, to lose like a town like Auburn, your hometown, Hagerstown. Mm-hmm. Uh, those cities are, are gonna are, are unfortunate to to have lost an affiliate or a minor league team. Um, you know, we'll see. We'll see what happens with this draft league that's happening. Fredericksburg uh, got a, a, a draft league acceptance or invitation or whatever, so they're adding. So that town isn't losing. Uh, baseball uh, anytime soon. Maybe a town like Hagerstown or Auburn can also hop into that. Or we'll, maybe we'll see a bunch of other independent leagues pop up uh, just yeah, to try to preserve too. baseball in some of these towns. I, I, but the minor league uh, relationship between minor league baseball and major league baseball has obviously been on the rocks for, for a little bit right now. And this was all it was all coming to this, but it happened yesterday. And I think a lot of players uh, will be happy they don't have to play in Hagerstown at that stadium anymore. Yeah. If you've ever been there, it's it's – an older stadium, the field's in bad shape, the stadium as a whole is in bad shape, the the locker rooms are in bad shape. Um, players did not like having to travel there or play there. So that's good news. They've been planning on building a, a stadium, a new stadium for a long time, never got done. I would imagine that has to has a little bit to do with them losing that affiliation. So I think they'll be happy to hear that at least. <laughs> yeah, and then the low team for the Nationals, the low A Fredericksburg Nationals, are playing in a brand, brand new ballpark. New, yeah. So that just helps the amenities. I don't know too much about the Rochester Stadium. That has been around for a long time. I think that was once home to also the Major League Lacrosse League or whatever that, that league is called, oh, okay. the Rochester Lacrosse team. For a while as well, we don't know what kind of shape that is. Uh, we know Harrisburg. Uh, it will be interesting to see how Wilmington shapes up, but the facilities should be pretty nice and, and nearby, which is the key right here. So mm-hmm. it was kind of uncertain how the Nationals would approach this. We knew that they were trying to get closer than Fresno. They made that work with Rochester. They made it work with Syracuse for all those years. So it's good to have the affiliates back home, so to say, um, nearby the major league team that all the prospects are, like you said, on the East Coast and are easily accessible to D.C. Yeah, it'll be exciting. It'll be exciting to see where, you know, we're going to see guys like Kate Cavalli and Jackson Rutledge play um, this year. So that's exciting. We at least know they'll be pretty local. Um, I guess going back to a day before that, the Adam Eaton News um, signed a one-year deal with Chicago um, almost to the day four years ago that he came from Chicago in that trade, of course, that the Nationals gave up three of their top pitching prospects in Lucas Giolito, Dane Dunning, and Renato Lopez, Bobby. You mentioned Dane Dunning. He was traded from the White Sox the night before to the Rangers, a part of that Lance Lynn deal. Mm -hmm. Uh, So kind of all comes full circle just four years ago. Of course, Adam Eaton came over to the Nationals while the winter meetings were in National Harbor in D.C., uh, which was pretty interesting. That was the big move that year. Um, it's interesting that the Nationals have made usually it's, it's it is kind of a bummer I, I say that I don't really appreciate or I don't like going to the winter meetings let's say that but it is kind of a bummer whereas Nationals fans you've had news come out of the winter meetings for your team a couple of times over the last four years Adam Eaton back in 2016 Strasburg and Rendon last year uh, it is a shame and this year it's not directly relate I mean I guess it is in the sense that a player is officially leaving we all kind of figured that would be the case anyways um, but Adam Eaton going back it is interesting that this is the landing spot that he found obviously uh, there are still a lot of people in the organization that remember his time with the White Sox he has kind of a rocky history with that team and we know that his relationship when he left that team wasn't 
all too great. Uh, and he played well for the Nationals. The Nationals fans are going to remember him fondly. It'll be interesting to see how White Sox fans receive him. It's a young, talented team that's upcoming, and early reports are that he's going to plug in and be their everyday right fielder to start. It'll be interesting to see how they approach mm-hmm. that with a veteran manager, Tony La Russa. Right, they have, I mean, he's joining a young Alfred outfield, excuse me, and Aloy Jimenez and um, Luis Robert out there. So that'll be interesting to see how he fits right in there. But at the end of the day, it's it's pretty low risk for Chicago. Mm-hmm. It's a one-year deal. He's coming, you know, he's hoping to have a bounce back year. Um, it's a guy they know well, um, has been in their organization. They did decided not to fill that hole in right field with a bigger name, uh, a more costly name. Um, so it's it's pretty low low risk for Chicago, but Bobby, I'm gonna ask you. I know it's hard to tell because we don't know where how the careers of all three of those guys are gonna shape out. Yeah. But now that Adam Eaton is officially gone, yeah. Did they give up too much for him? Was it worth it? We've talked about this in passing before. If you ha- if you just have to say yes. right now, now that it's officially over, right? <laughs> it's officially over. Even on the White Sox side, because Dane Dunning is gone and uh, they have Lucas Giolito as one of their frontline starters, you have to say yes. I mean, the fact that Adam Eaton's leaving with a World Series ring, and you look at his career stats with the Nationals, of course, you know, what was it, 26 or so games into his first season in D.C., he tears his ACL, he has to go through that whole rehab, yep. play only 310 games, excuse me, uh, for the Nationals, hit 276, only 26 home runs, the 289 RBIs. Uh, but that's not, you know, the home runs and the RBIs, that's not what they brought him in for. They brought him in to be that kind of leadoff spark at the top of the lineup. Um, a solid defender out in right field, uh, even though he originally came over as a center fielder. Um, And I think he played his role. He played his role as a spark plug. Um, He clearly got along better with the guys in this clubhouse and the the clubhouse in Chicago. Uh, His teammates did nothing but had great reviews about him, his work ethic, the fact that he went out and played hard every single day. You know, even when, you know, think about leading off a game in the middle of May and he's bunting and sprinting down the line. <laughs> you know, guys like that effort. Uh, you know, managers love that kind of effort. And then you look at what he did in the World Series in the postseason, hitting the two home runs against Houston. You know, we talked about this before, too. You know, the Nationals might not win that World Series. Maybe they make it, but they might not win it without Adam Eaton. Uh, and in, in his gritty play and make some tough plays in the outfield as well. So I think you you can only make the judgment on results. And the results are that the Nationals won a World Series with them. And obviously 2020, this season, 60 games, we talked about that. So maybe only include his first three seasons with the Nationals. Hurt, bad, but comes back, is a staple in the lineup, leads off. You know, who knows how valuable he was to Trey Turner uh, and his numbers by leading off or, or – hitting behind him later in his time here in D.C. So I, I think it's worth it. And then you look at Chicago's side, they have Lucas Giolito, who is now going to be potentially a Cy Young candidate for years. They're going to just throw a new hitter, no hitter last season mm-hmm. um, and, and really burst onto the scene uh, as a frontline starter. So I, I think it's always going to be a topic of conversation. Um, and, and Giolito, and, and, which is funny now, but Giolito and Eaton are going to be tied forever now that they're teammates. Uh, who knows how their legacy is going to last, but... <laughs> I think if you both sides would take what they got uh, from each player or from each return, 
uh, in that trade. And sometimes trades do work out like that. There's yeah. not really a winner or a loser. It kind of works out for everybody. And, you know, I don't know that we talk so much about how many games he missed and he only played in 57% of the Nationals games over the last four years and all of that. But let's say he played in every single game, you know, hit for a great average, um, but the Nationals didn't make the playoffs in his entire career here. Do you say that's success, a successful trade? I would say no, right, because he wasn't an important piece on this team. But that's not the case. He might have only played in 57% of the games, but he was a, a key piece in that World Series team, and I think that that's what the payoff is. And you look back on it, that's what you're going to remember, um, and it worked out for everybody. I, th- I agree with you, Bobby. I, I guess also it, it comes back to the idea, too. You talk about the percentage of games he missed. Yeah, it was due to injury, and yes, that's a good portion of the time he was here. But it's also the timing of the injury, too. It happened early in the season. Mm-hmm. It's a different conversation uh, if he tears his ACL later in the season and then that percentage kind of shrinks of the games he missed. And who knows? I mean, you know, I think – I want to say it was Dusty Baker who said it. Maybe it was even someone on the Nats beat. But that one year when they were – I think it was Dusty's first year. Was it 16? And they were – which would have been Adam Eaton's not no even before 2017 was his first year so maybe it was 17 but one of those one of Dusty Baker's years they were just so beat up um and and um someone asked Dusty was like you know what do you make of this how do you and he's like you know what sometimes it's not it's not the injury it's who gets injured and when uh because Steve you know you talk about Steven Strasburg too someone who was been counting on especially with Max Scherzer to be you know a one-two punch at the top of the rotation uh, and it wasn't always when he was hurt. It was, it was always when he was hurt. You know, sometimes it was early in the season. It's like, okay, they can get by without mm-hmm. him as long as he's healthy for the stretch run. I think that happened in that 2017 season. Look what he did in game four against the Cubs. So it, it's, when, really good point. it's when it's who gets hurt and when they get mm-hmm. hurt. So the fact that it happened so early in that season, I think that's what leaves sour taste in people's mouths. But all in all, you take the whole thing, look at it all as a whole picture. I think you would take these last four years with Adam Eaton uh, than not. I mean, what are the other options, really? Because, yeah. again, Mike Rizzo came out and said, this is the exact kind of player we're looking for in this deal. Someone who's gritty, top of the lineup, maybe has a chip on his shoulder, has always been overlooked because of his size uh, and his lack of power, stuff like that. I, I, again, he meshed well in his clubhouse, and he, and he filled a role, a very specific role, and that's what Mike Rizzo was looking for, and he filled it pretty well when he was on the field. I'm with you, Bobby. We wish him the best of luck in Chicago, and it'll be interesting to see who the Nationals go after to fill that um, hole now in right field, and, or if they go after anybody, if they you know, settle, I won't say settle, but settle for Andrew Stevenson, um, and, or if they decide to make some moves in these weeks coming up. Um, Fast-forwarding or rewinding even farther, we'll go back to when they signed um, the 26-year-old from Cuba, Rogelio Armenteros. That happened. Rogelio Armenteros. Are all mixed up. What day? I believe happen? that was Monday. Monday. Yes. I think I even wrote it down because I was mixed up too. Yeah, Monday. <laughs> so they claimed him. He's a right-handed pitcher. Claimed him off of waivers from the Diamondbacks, and the Diamondbacks just got him from the Astros uh, the end of November. Um, so that was a quick turnaround. Um, he debuted with the Astros in 2019, um, made five appearances, earned a four ERA with an 18 to five strikeout to walk ratio. So we know he doesn't throw a lot of balls. He can paint the corners. Um, he relies on a fastball changeup combo, but he was out all of last year. He had surgery to remove a bone spur from his right elbow. 
Um, so he's working back from that. His velocity isn't where it was. He's topping out around 89 at uh, Fall Instructional League. Um, but it'll be interesting to see what he can do. I'd imagine he'll start AAA. Yep. But maybe he'll end up competing for, for a spot on this rotation. What do you think, Bobby? I, I think that the the biggest value, and this is something that Mark Zuckerman also pointed out to in his article when it came out, is that he has two options remaining. And you, when we talk about the back end of the rotation and you look at Joe Ross and Austin Vogt, those are two guys without options left. And that's why, you know, coming into last spring training, it was so crucial that who was going to grasp that spot and who was going to – it was pretty clear that it was going to be those two guys who were going to make the opening day roster and then Eric Fetty because he has that um, odd fourth-year option right. attached to him, which he still does, by the way. He still has that – uh, uh, stuck with him for 2021, but is coming in with two options. That just gives the Nationals more flexibility in the rotation. Since he projects as a starter, uh, particularly in the back end, you know, this is a guy, like you said, probably ends up in Rochester, and we just talked about how the affiliates are back on the East Coast. This is someone that if they need to in a pinch, you know, say something happens to Max Scherzer, God forbid, Strasburg, whoever it may be, mm-hmm. they or even like a Joe Ross, but they, they can call him up and, and have him ready to start I mean, he has major league experience, albeit only five games, like you said. But it, it's they give him a little more flexibility, which they were kind of lacking and, and were kind of locked in on last year because had it been a normal season and had Joe Ross participated, they were basically stuck with Ross and both on the major league roster without having to risk giving them up or losing them. True. Do you think signing a guy like this – what do you think that says about the moves that they're going to make this offseason? Is it kind of like we're – saving money here he might end up fitting into the rotation we might go after a bigger name somewhere else or do you think it's more like we're making small moves and we're gonna fill in what we can it, it's a small it's a small move that gives you security or, or flexibility you know I, I don't think this is a solution to their rotation they still need a fourth starter uh, which i would think that they're gonna still spend on and, and go after this off season uh it's just i think that because they were hamstrung with the lack of options with ross and both, you know, they, they weren't going to go into the season, they being Mike Rizzo and the Nationals, they weren't going to go into the season with a rotation of Scherzer, Strasburg, Corbin, Ross, and Voth. You know, mm-hmm. they would, they want to add a front, not a front line, but a major league fourth starter right there in front of, they would rather have Ross and Voth go back and forth with that fifth or someone take a bullpen spot right. um, without having to give them up and then have that insurance of Fetty and now uh, Armenteros. Uh, at the at the AAA or minor league, wherever they end up. Right, because even when Joe Ross opted out, and then that that fifth fifth starter position was a battle between Eric Fetty and Austin Both, neither of them really earned that spot. Right. So you're exactly right; it gives them a little bit of flexibility and another option if push comes to shove. Yeah, so. if, if we're looking at the rotation with a hole to fill, it's this is a small band aid that helps stop. Mm-hmm. I don't want to say the bleeding; that sounds gruesome, but you know what I mean. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's it, it's a small patch that helps. A little bit. It's not a fix, but it helps a little bit um, with how they can construct the roster moving forward. So we know they need a catcher. We know they need a, a right fielder. They need a four starter. They need some bullpen help. Um, what What is their biggest need? What do they have to, if they're going to, you know, spend the most money on one thing, make one big trade, what are you doing? I think we talked about this a little bit last week, too. And, and the starter is not the top of my list. Um it's because you have the Bulldogs in Scherzer, Strasburg, and Corbin. I think you can wait. And we, I mentioned a couple of names like uh, Taiwan Walker last year that you can probably wait on mm-hmm. 
and, and like like they're waiting on Ryan Zimmerman, and we're live on Facebook and YouTube, and we've already got some uh, comments from Shannon Arthur. What's your opinion on Ryan Zimmerman for 2021? We'll get into first base in a second. Mm-hmm. Um, but starter is not my one or even second major concern right now. I, I think outfield, now that Eaton's definitely out of the picture, um, I mean, I personally – I. Hmm. <laughs> it's interesting because my main target this offseason would be a JT Romuto, but catcher's not my a priority right now. I guess my would be outfield and what's their starting infield? What's that's that's not just a particular Settling position. Settling the dust. Then. Yeah, yeah. Third base is Carter Keebum, or we're going somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Second base, is, are we for sure? St- uh, Starling Castro is going to be ready, uh, and Luis Garcia is going to pack him up. Uh, and first base, what are we doing over there? How are we going to platoon that? That would be my let's let's. Let's get the, let's put together the outfield and then kind of patch together the infield. Not patch. That sounds like it's it's going to be an issue still moving forward. But you know what I mean. It's settle the dust is a good way to put it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then go to all right fourth starter. What are we doing at catcher? But you know we're seeing even like because catcher James McCann was another name that we tossed around outside of J T Romuto and he's being heavily linked to the Mets. So mm-hmm. the Mets are already moving at a position of need of you. So. Not that they're doing that on purpose, but, you know, it's someone oh, coming yeah. off the board at a position of need for you. And if you're not going to pay top dollar for JT Romuto, he would have been next in line. And he could be off the board pretty soon. So my priority, outfield, infield, starter, and then work at catcher. Okay. What about you? Um, I'm with you there. I think they have to address right field. That's a whole. I mean, that's yeah. they have to address that first. And hopefully they can – that will come with, you know, a power bat. Um, and then – they need a catcher. I mean, you have to have a catcher, right? We know that Jan Gomes is a number two guy, so they need somebody at that position. That's another hole. Um, then you can you can wait on a number four starter, I think. Just like you mentioned, maybe a guy looking for a bounce back year you can get for a little bit cheaper. And then the infield, I think, will shake itself out. Um, once we figure out what's going on with Ryan Zimmerman, maybe Howie Kendrick, um, we have no idea really where the Nationals' heads are at um, with third base. I mean, we know they say they believe in Carter Keyboom. Ken Rosenthal um, reported that they really aren't as heavily involved in trade talks with a Chris Bryant as as being rumored. Uh, so we don't really know where their heads are at with that infield position or yeah. with that whole infield um, right now. Yeah. So I think we you, you go for an outfielder first, catcher, and then, then um, fill in that rotation. The other tricky thing about outfield, though, is that I think – we agreed last week that outfield has the most available mm-hmm. free agents you can go after. So that pool That's is pretty point. filled. So you don't have to jump right away to go pick someone up. Now you look at somewhere like a third base or I'm not going to include second base because I'm going to assume Starling Castro is back next year and, and healthy, ready to go. Um, but if you look at third base, that name list kind of shrinks. And, of course, the top prize would be trading for Chris Bryant. So, yes, for me, the outfield is their priority, but that doesn't mean you have to jump right now yeah. and, and go sign somebody because there are plenty of names that are perfectly suitable to fill out that outfield with Robles and Juan Soto. So, yes, it's a priority, but it's not urgent. Right. And I think that there's a difference there. No, I agree. I agree. If you look at all of the options, then then that makes it a little bit less pressing. And you're talking about Ryan Zimmerman, the position there. A name off the market now is Carlos Santana. Yeah. Um, a two-year deal with the Royals. And the Royals are kind of surprising me because I feel like they're 
they're making a lot of moves, spending a lot of money here, and they're kind of like a, a lower budget team, especially after this 2020 year. I'm kind of surprised, but they had a lot of expired contracts and a non-tender contract, so I'd imagine that plays into it. But, of course, we know they picked up Michael A. Taylor just last week. Um, they agreed to a two-year deal with Mike Miner, so they're making some moves there. Um, and that's a name um, at first base that's off the list now if they were to go, go after a corner infielder. Yeah, yeah, and the two two years, seventeen and a half million dollars for Carlos Santana, uh, Jesse Doherty at the Washington Post. The one pointing out that the Nationals probably weren't going to go with that price range, even though they were in on him. They were that was not mm-hmm. going to be uh, something that they were going to commit to uh, to a veteran first baseman, especially when you've got a guy like people brought up in the comments, uh, Ryan Zimmerman waiting. We saw him uh, <laughs> put up his, I guess, replica World Series trophy on his trophy case today. Uh, Did you see that whole trophy case? I mean, the Silver Slugger, the <laughs> bobblehead collection, so many bobbleheads. Yeah. Um, Does your bookshelf look like that? No, no. mine doesn't. No, mine is maybe a bobblehead yeah. and a plant yeah. and then my records, and that's pretty much it. My fish tank. Yeah. <laughs> but so you've got Ryan Zimmerman, and, and we've heard people say, well, we people – We've heard Ryan Zimmerman say he doesn't want to play anywhere else. So if he's going to play, it's going to be here, mm-hmm. and it's going to be in some platoon fashion, not playing every single day on a limited number of games, innings, at-bats, uh, just because he is getting up there in age. We know his injury history. Um, and this is this is a process that's worked out well for the Nationals over the past couple of years. You've got guys like Howie Kendrick, uh, Ashruba Cabrera, who I don't think we – We'll see back in a Nationals uniform coming up soon. But, you know, Howie's out there, and he's already said he wants to play. You know, you asked if I'm a betting man. If I'm betting, odds are that those both those guys land back in, in a uniform. And that it also ties into they don't have to jump at signing these guys right now. Because like they did last year with Zimmerman, they waited. They knew they had, like, an unspoken mm-hmm. agreement. This is going to happen. You know, we're going to sign you back. Let's Let us figure out our payroll, especially after this pandemic. Uh, in this season where we're seeing a lot of teams kind of say, you know, we're running short on funds here. Let's see where we need to allocate money elsewhere first, and then we'll come out and work out a deal. I would assume it's going to be another $1 million deal with, you know, another million in incentives or an option for a second mm-hmm. year if they wanted it, whatever it may be. You could do the same with Howie Kendrick up to like probably like five or six. Maybe that's even too high, like three or four for another solid year. Because um, I can't imagine – Definitely with Zimmerman, but I can't imagine there are, are too many teams knocking on Howie Kendrick's door or calling him right now, asking him, what's it going to take? Here's a blank check, so. you know? So I, I think they can figure out first base, and that's why it's very low. In my infield list, there's a second list of priority. That's like the last right. one. I'm going around. the Well, maybe th- maybe shortstop's the last one because that's not a priority at all because mm-hmm. you have Trey Turner. And then you you factor in the idea of maybe there being a universal DH, probably not. Another yeah. reason they wouldn't go after a veteran first baseman like Carlos Santana, because I would imagine that has to to factor into that decision, especially if Ryan Zimmerman and Howie Kendrick come back. Um, so that's you know another part of that. Moving on to today, the most recent news is the Rule 5 draft, and there's no (laughs) news at all because the Nationals don't participate in the Rule 5 draft hardly at all. Over the last decade, they haven't taken a single player in the Rule 5 draft. Yep, the only time uh, you heard the the name Washington Nationals today, it was followed by pass. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's good both ways, too, because that means they didn't lose anybody. Mm -hmm. Uh, So they didn't gain anybody, they didn't lose anybody. I think... I would have to go back and check. I don't know how many times Mike Rizzo has gone on record with his thoughts about the Rule 5 draft. My guess is he doesn't want to be tied to uh, a minor leaguer that has, that's taking up a major league spot. 
You know, he in his mind and probably ownership's mind and Davey Martinez's, they can fill the spot with a true major leaguer or one of their own uh, who who's knocking on the door to break through. Now, this farm system is different. Uh, it's it's the, the worst it's ever been under Mike Rizzo, per the pundits. Um, and that's also plays into the factor why no one was taken from them. You know, may, that says sure. a lot, maybe not a lot, but it says something that you didn't lose too many players. Now, you look at teams like, I think the Dodgers lost up to six or more players today throughout all of the Rule 5 draft in both phases, the major and minor league phase phases. So I guess it's a good thing you don't lose your own prospects, but it's also maybe telling that you don't have too many prospects that are appealing to other players, mm-hmm. which then ties back into the conversation we've had a couple of times about how they re- can rejuvenate this farm system uh, with some young talent and, and and hop up some of these rankings for, of total farm systems. And the only other gu- and the guys that we were only really afraid of uh, being taken from the Nationals in this draft were Ra- Rowdy Reed and Israel Pineda, both catchers, and then Sterling Sharp, who was selected by the Marlins last year and then returned uh, uh, this season to, mm-hmm. to the Nationals. So a guy that was already taken and returned, and then two catchers, mm-hmm. and you don't normally see catchers taken in the Rule 5 draft. Uh, like that was mentioned on All Access this week too because – you're that means you're stuck that means that catcher is going to be your backup catcher at the major league level and it's interesting because really the only rule five uh draft pick that the the nation that stands out in nationals history was in 2006 and it was a catcher mm-hmm. it was jesus flores um and he started out as their backup and in, eventually earned earned the starting catcher role um just a couple years later which you just like you said you don't see that really often you don't really have to worry about that um but if you look back at nationals rule five history that's really probably the only guy that stands out if not you know one of three or four yeah uh yeah and what mark zuckerman detailed in his morning posts this morning it's been 10 years since they've taken anybody and you know for every one name that's recognizable there are 10 names right. that you don't know mm-hmm. um and, and but another tale of winter meetings past my first one in nashville i remember a former co-worker uh, and our social media manager, Olivia Witherwright, telling me, come to the Rule 5 draft, check it out. It's pretty interesting. It's pretty neat just to be there. And, yeah, on our counterparts, the Orioles side, it's interesting because mm-hmm. they, uh, they took two players today in the major league phase and lost two players. Nothing happened at the Nationals. So I was like, all right, well, I guess that's it. <laughs> I, guess, well, I guess we'll pack up and head home now. So it's usually, you know, for Nationals fans, it's something that you don't pay attention to. The only reason to pay attention to is see if, if any prospects either. leave, um, and that wasn't the case this year, which is a good and maybe bad thing that you know you don't have guys that are catching the eyes of other scouts and other teams uh, that they would want to covet and, and put uh, and also are major league ready because you have to have that guy on your roster throughout mm-hmm. the whole season or else pass pass through waivers and offer them back to the original team. But just like you said, on the other other flip side of it, that means that you know if you aren't going out and and, um, getting guys in the Rule 5 draft, that means that you can fill your roster with players, your own players that are major league uh, ready and you don't have to, you know, be adventurous. It is interesting, though, because, I mean, usually, like, the easy uh, comparison is our counterparts on the Mass and All Access Mm -hmm. umbrella, the Orioles side. You know, this time of year, the non-tender deadline and the protection deadline are pretty interesting because that helps open you know how many roster spots are available and how many players they can take in the Rule 5 draft. It's obviously usually one or two. 
the Nationals had, I'm pretty sure, have plenty of space on their 40 man roster. So they could have taken a flyer on somebody if they wanted to. It's an interesting thought that you don't at least, you have plenty of roster space to add someone. It's interesting that you don't take maybe a chance because it's it's a cheap option to get possibly a top prospect. Uh, You know, a lot, you know, you look at the Dodgers. Like I said, they were taken, uh, I think they lost six prospects at least today in the Rule 5 draft. Now, those aren't their top 10 or probably even 15 prospects, but the Dodgers is one of the best farm systems in all of baseball. Maybe those players go to another farm system and are immediately injected into their top 15, top 10. Especially the Nationals and the way their farm system is now. And I, I know you have to keep them on the Major League roster for a season, but maybe you find a guy who can be up there uh, and, and he has a place on the roster, doesn't play every day if he doesn't have to, um, and then after the year you can option him down and then you kind of stole a prospect for, for mm-hmm. cheap. It's only, I think, $10,000, $100,000 uh, per prospect. So, I mean, it, it's interesting. I, I don't – I get the reasoning for not drafting someone. Uh, it's a complicated process. But also with the roster space that the Nationals had, I find it curious they didn't at least maybe – entertain the idea but the track record says they weren't going to take anyone anyway so you know it's it's mike rizzo's choice mm-hmm. that's his philosophy and i get it too you know you're a competing team you're a contender you're two years removed from winning a world series or i guess only one right now but you know, you will be two going into next season we're a contender we don't need a borderline major leaguer taking up a roster spot of a established major leaguer as we contend for another title right or hopefully they division. are contending exactly <laughs> Um, any other news, Bobby, that we need to get to? Oh, Juan Soto. Juan Soto last night. You know, all MLB, was this even a thing? Uh, I think it just started. This year? La- I think 2019. Okay. Started in 2019. Because I don't know if they named a team last year or if this is the first year that they named a team, but I know it started last year. Okay, so you you hear all blank team. usually think NBA. They do all NBA first, second, and third team. Uh you know, the NFL has pro bowlers and then uh, all pros list. I think NHL has something similar. I think this is a big deal this year because there was no all-star game. We have no, you know, he was an all-star this year. He was one of the best players at his position in all of baseball or his league this year. Right. We don't know. Juan Soto named to the all MLB first team as an outfielder. No surprise there. Uh, he was one of the best outfielders and best players in all of baseball. We've been through his stat line and his historic slash line and, and the fact that he missed uh, 10 to 13 games this season and, and 60 games. Uh, the guy's an absolute star. He, he's going to be a star. He, this is not going to be his last <laughs> all-MLB team. Uh, we're going to see him competing for uh, MVPs, um, Silver Sluggers, maybe yeah. hopefully back to a Gold Gloves uh, caliber outfield. Um I mean, this guy is just special, and it, it was no surprise that he was selected to all MLB first team. And you know, my first—I mean, I get the all MLB team year because it it looks at an, t- an entire season of work where all star being named to an all star team, it, you're just honoring the first half of the season. So I kind of get the idea, but it's not. I don't know if I'm ranking things that matter. I don't think it's a I huge agree. deal, which is why you know when you think about Trey Turner being left off, yeah, I don't think it's the biggest deal in the world. No, I don't. But I, just for argument's sake, I mean, let's let's, let's talk about it because mm-hmm. Trey Turner was left off. We talked about how was he snubbed from, um, well, I guess more so Juan Soto, but uh, MVP mm-hmm. consideration as well. And Trey Turner had a fantastic year. And okay, 
all MLB first team. They did first and second team. First team, maybe not. It went to Fernando Tatis Jr., rightfully so. That's fine. I have no problem with that. Mm-hmm. He was he caught the league by storm this year and, and um, established himself as a superstar. But second team went to Corey Seager, yeah. obviously playing for the Dodgers, the eventual uh, World Series champions. Um, played very well. Had a great season. Had a good season. But if you just look at the numbers and, and – this is where we get back in the conversation with MVP as if does the team you play for matter. Clearly for Juan Soto it didn't, but is Juan Soto is also at a different level of stardom than Trey Turner. For whatever reason, he, he just is, uh, even though Trey Turner's been around longer. But you look at the numbers, uh, Trey Turner, 59 games, only missed one game and near the end of the season too, and they were already out of it. Corey Seager played 52. Uh, Trey Turner led, uh, I think, all of baseball with 78 hits. 12 home runs to Corey Seager's 15, so only three off. Uh, they both had 41 RBIs. 12 stolen bases for Trey, only one for Corey Seager. Uh, the slash line isn't that close. 335 average to 307 for Seager. 394 on base. 358 a little higher for Seager. But uh, the OPS overall, including the slugging, uh, Trey Turner hasn't beat 982 to 943. And Trey Turner's uh, war per baseball reference, 2.2 to Corey Seager's 1.9. It's close. The records on the teams they play for aren't close, but it's close head-to-head. I know he was a finalist. That's fine. And we're talking about how this doesn't really matter. But for argument's sake, I think there's an argument to be had that Trey Turner should have gotten it over Corey Seager. I think, you know, obviously Trey Turner has the best offensive numbers. He um, led shortstops in average, on-base percentage, slugging percentage, and OPS. Um, I Obviously, Fernando Tatis has him... I mean, it makes sense. He he finished first out of these three. He has the best defensive numbers out of the three of them. So uh, we aren't arguing that. Um, but we had this conversation when we were talking about MVP and whether Soto was snubbed. It comes down to the team you play for, I think. And yeah. Corey Seager won um, NLCS and World Series MVP. And I think that matters. He's valuable to his team. And I think that both, both of these guys, Tatis and Seager, were on playoff teams. Um, and I think that's what makes the difference here, Bobby. Yeah, but then, yeah. You know, Should it? I don't know. Yeah, but Juan Soto wasn't, and he missed a bunch of games. True. But I would say the com- the competition's a lot tighter at shortstop yeah, than it is that's fair. in left field. That's fair. And, and, I mean, I guess the other – well, does it doesn't matter. That's the thing. Outfield, does, if it's all MLB – are you taking one left fielder, one center field, or is it just the overall best outfielders? You know what I'm I, saying? Right. It's well out there. I think it's it's it was it's Trout, uh, Trout and Betts and Betts. So center and right. right. So, so it, yeah, they didn't fill is. out a full all team. Okay. Yeah. But if, so if that, you're looking at an all MLB correct. team, it should be the best player at every position. Yeah. I feel just tricky because you could just have like the All Star game. If you're selecting All Stars, it's just the three best outfielders, not best left, right, or center. You're voting right. for overall True. outfield. I just think. Trey Turner is always going to fly a little bit more under the radar because he's not a flashy player. Yep. And when he's not on a competitive team, he's not going to stand out, even though you and I know the player that he is. And anybody who sees him often knows the player that he is. But when you get other people voting that don't see him play as often, um, see see more flashy players, players that played on playoff teams, won MVP in the NLCS and World Series, it makes a difference. Yep, absolutely. And bottom line, we don't really think all MLB means anything. Congrats to Juan Soto, though. Mm-hmm. Uh, Trey Turner was a finalist. That is something. Uh, and we can nitpick whether or not he should have been second or first team yep. all day. But either way, still nice to be recognized and, and Juan Soto to get that first team award. 
good for them. Bright future ahead for the Nationals. I mean, these guys are going to carry this team for a while, hopefully. Um, and maybe going back to our infield priorities, maybe shortstop isn't last. Maybe you bump shortstop up and that being signed, Trey Turner long term right. uh, instead of finding, uh, letting him go and having to find a replacement at a high-profile position. All right, like we said at the top of the show, it's, it's, it was kind of a lackluster week. Um, not too much news to go around, so that's pretty much going to do it for this week's episode of the Mass and All Access podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in live on Facebook and YouTube and on Twitter. Really appreciate all the comments. We've got plenty of comments on Facebook. Really appreciate you guys following along. Be sure to also catch the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and SoundCloud. Subscribe, rate, and review. Spread the word. We really appreciate all you guys on those platforms as well. Shout out to Brendan Mortensen, Hannah Broder, and Paul Mancano for help around this, uh, behind the scenes. And shout out to them for their uh, work all week long during these uh, so-called winter meetings. Uh, if you miss any of the coverage from this past week or these podcasts, go back and check out on MassInSports.com, our Masson Nationals YouTube channels, uh, on Twitter. We got you covered on social media as well. At Amy Jennings News for Amy, I'm at Bobby underscore Blanco on Twitter. Give us a shout and a follow. We really appreciate the commentary. Uh, and thanks so much again for tuning in. We'll catch you next week, our last podcast before the new year. Uh, we'll put together maybe our wish lists for the Nationals moving into 2021 as we get prepared for a brand new baseball season. Thanks again for tuning in, everyone. We'll see you later.